This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and I want to join you today with an encouragement for you on Easter week of 2021. Each week in uh, kind of the days leading up to Easter Sunday, we have an opportunity to reflect and to prepare our hearts for a day of rejoicing, but there's days of sadness. There's Good Friday and Monday, Thursday, and all these things on the Christian calendar, and all of them are rooted out of this incredibly important final week of the life of Jesus. And so, what I want to do today on the Equip podcast is actually um, kind of narrate through day by day, the events in the final week of the life of Jesus. Because sometimes as you read the gospel narratives, what you realize is they're not set out in entirely strict chronological order. And because there's four different gospels, sometimes it can be hard to piece the details together and their ancient narrative. And so, they don't really always work in the clearest chronological, here's what happened Monday, here's what happened Tuesday. And so, I found it really helpful. Actually, a few years ago, I looked at a book. It was called The Final Days of Jesus. It was a book compiled by Justin Taylor. And he actually, he blogs on the Gospel Coalition. And his blog gave kind of a rough chronology of Holy Week that I had read through several years ago. And really, every year leading up to Easter, I've reviewed this. It's been really helpful to me. And so, I figured I'd pass this along to you. And so, almost all this chronology, if you want to see it more fully explained and expanded, get that book, The Final Days of Jesus. It'd be a really helpful uh, read for you. So, I'm going to start on Palm Sunday. This would be March 29th of AD 33. If we're looking at that final week in the life of Jesus. And so, Palm Sunday begins with this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where people are welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. And I'll kind of use the Mark account, Mark's gospel account, to give you kind of the framework of what I'm talking about. And so, this would be in Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry of Jesus. He comes in, he is greeted as he rides on a donkey by thousands of Jewish people who would scream out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, it's significant to note that this Sunday, March 29th of AD 33, would have been inside of a Passover pilgrimage week in Jerusalem. It's called Week of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which would culminate in the Passover celebration. And in the first century, Jerusalem as a town, its normal population probably would have been between 40 and 50,000 people. In the week of that Passover pilgrimage, that feast week, Historians estimate that actually Jerusalem could swell up to almost 200,000 people who would be inside of it. So just imagine this city is packed. It is at an emotional peak, at a high moment. And so you've got to understand that in those times, the Romans, who were the occupying force in Jerusalem in those days, were on high alert because they were seeing throngs of people. It's almost like if you knew there was a huge protest that was going to be happening and it was going to gather scores of people into Washington, D.C., you would be on high alert. You would know something could be happening. And so, 
It's clear that actually this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem riding on the donkey would have certainly provoked notice both among the Romans who were the occupying force and also among the Jewish leaders who really wanted to keep the people calm and keep Rome from doing anything crazy. So Jesus enters in and riding on a donkey was significant because Solomon, as he had entered, is the king of Israel. In days past had done so, and in Zechariah, the prediction of the Messiah said that the Messiah, as he entered in, would come riding on the colt of a donkey. And so, as Jesus enters in to the scries of Hosanna and people laying down palm branches in front of him on that Palm Sunday, it was a significant moment as he declared himself to be the true messianic king of God. The next day, Monday, would have been March the 30th of A.D. 33, where Jesus, after spending the night in Bethany, comes back into Jerusalem with his disciples. And on that Monday, as he comes into Jerusalem, Mark 11, verse 12 and following records him cursing a fig tree that did not have fruit. He says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. He curses that fig tree and then he heads in from there back into the temple area And it's there where Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers in the temple courtyard. And again, it's significant to understand that this is a festival week in Jerusalem. So the temple courtyard would have been packed with people who traveled from all over the place. And as they came in, because they were traveling, they needed to be able to change their money and do this. So basically the temple area, which was normally a place of prayer and of worship, was just surrounded and packed with merchants, people trying to make a few bucks as the pilgrims would come into Jerusalem. And Jesus at that point overturns the tables and cries out that his father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, not a den of thieves. It's significant, not just because the temple area would have been packed, but on that Monday, Jesus was giving a visible display of his authority. The temple in first century Jerusalem was not just a building where people came to worship, it was more than that. It was the physical display of God's glory in the midst of the people of Israel. And so for Jesus to come in and make a scene like that was a way to say, the place where God dwells, I have authority here and you Jewish religious leaders do not. They were already on high alert, right? After he had come in riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday. But now after this, the authority of the religious leaders has been challenged directly and they are even more in a tizzy. Next day, Tuesday, March the 31st of AD 33. Jesus, it says in Mark 11, he and his disciples early in the morning came back into Jerusalem. They had stayed again the night outside of the town in Bethany. They pass again by the withered fig tree. Remember, Jesus had cursed the tree the day before, and now his disciples see it and remember that Jesus has cursed that fig tree. And it's here on this Tuesday where Jesus continues to engage in this ongoing conversation and really conflict with the religious leaders. And it's here on Tuesday, March the 31st, they're trying to trap Jesus. So you can think of things like when they question um, whose authority is it by which you speak. When they try to trap him and say, teacher, is it lawful for people to pay their taxes to Rome or should they not? And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What's happening is the Jewish religious leaders are trying to set a trap for Jesus to demonstrate that this so-called Messiah 
who is coming in on the full on the colt of a donkey is really just an uneducated nobody from Nazareth, and he needs to go back home to nowhere. The goal of the religious leaders on that Tuesday is to take this person who would make a scene and try to embarrass them at the temple and to show people that this guy really is nothing. It would be here on this Tuesday where Jesus gives all sorts of teaching, where they the religious leaders challenge him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, you should love the Lord your God and you should love your neighbor as yourself. It's here where Jesus gives his great speeches about the end times. It's called the Olivet Discourse, in which he predicts the future on the return of the disciples to Bethany from Jerusalem. That's Tuesday, March the 31st. Now, on Wednesday, April the 1st of Holy Week in AD 33, New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg notes that nothing is recorded in the Gospels that we can confidently say for certain occurred on that Wednesday. But many people do think that it's on that Wednesday, April the 1st, when Judas first seeks out the Jewish authorities after being filled by Satan to ask if he could betray Jesus for a price. The plot to kill Jesus, which has been ongoing throughout the public ministry of Jesus as the Messiah, now begins to pick up steam. Now, Thursday, that would be April the 2nd of AD 33, is an incredibly significant event. Numerous events happen on this Thursday of Holy Week. Um, it's called Monday Thursday by many people in the Christian tradition. Monday is kind of a Latin word, it means roughly mandate or commandment, and it comes after the saying of Jesus as he sits at the Passover table with his disciples. He says, a new commandment I'm going to give to you, that you'd love one another. And so, it's on Monday, Thursday, that really this would be the Thursday of the celebration of the Passover supper in this Holy Week in Jerusalem. Jesus instructs his disciples to go and to prepare an upper room to prepare the Passover supper in Jerusalem. And so, as he enters into Jerusalem with his disciples, he celebrates this supper. But remember, that Passover moment in the Jewish mind was a look backwards to the exodus of Moses, where God set his people free from the slavery of Egypt by the blood of a lamb painted on the doorpost so the angel of death would pass over. It's now that Jesus looks in his Passover moment with his disciples. And as they eat the Lord's Supper, he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood. And in so doing, he says, the truest Passover lamb is not just the lamb that was sacrificed in the past in Egypt, but he looks forward to the moment of his death. And he says, by my blood, I'm going to institute a new covenant. That all happens on Thursday night. It's during that Passover supper when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He teaches them in the upper room discourse that John records about what real leadership and real love looks like. And then the final events of that Thursday, April the 2nd of AD 33, are Jesus going out with his disciples. After he has predicted Peter's denial, they go out to pray at a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, if it's, if it's your will, not what I will, but you will be done. He asks the disciples to stay awake and to pray with him, but they can't. And then, as he's praying in that garden, 
He's betrayed with a kiss as Judas comes, bringing with him the chief priests, scribes, elders, kind of a Jewish contingent with Roman support to arrest Jesus. And likely this arrest of Jesus occurs late in the evening. It's likely Thursday night or maybe even early Friday morning as Jesus is taken into cap, kind of captured by the guards and then brought before the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was the ruling body in Jerusalem in those days. It was made up of 71 members with the high priest, chief priest, elders, scribes, all sorts of people involved. And so it's likely we would call it late Thursday night or possibly even very early Friday morning on April the 3rd, the first Good Friday of AD 33, when just before dawn, Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin and he faces kind of multiple rounds of trials. And when you hear of the trials of Jesus, you need to remember that there are two trials that are ongoing. One is a Jewish phase of the trial of Jesus where he is brought before the Sanhedrin and Jewish authorities and he's accused of blasphemy. Now, they have multiple phases where he stands before Annas, before Caiaphas. It's while Jesus is at this Jewish trial where Peter betrays Jesus before the rooster crows. And sometime after sunrise on Good Friday, April the 3rd, the Sanhedrin gives their final verdict of blasphemy and says he must be handed over to the Romans to be crucified. Romans to be crucified, rather. It's important to note this. There's a Jewish and a Roman trial happening here because in those days, the Romans had taken away the right of the Jewish authorities to put a person to death on their own. A death sentence could only be handed down by the Roman authorities, and so it is here when the Jewish leaders bring Jesus over to face Pontius Pilate, who then later sends him to Herod Antipas and back to Pontius Pilate, and then ultimately Pilate brings Jesus before the people and says, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And they say, give us Barabbas. Instead, what should you do with Jesus, who's called King of the Jews? Crucify him. And on Good Friday... Jesus is crucified. It's, it is a horrible irony to put the term good in front of that day. In fact, the first century disciples likely would have never imagined it. The act of crucifixion was a terrible form of public torture. Roman citizens could not be crucified because the Romans considered death by crucifixion so undignified and disgusting that they would not subject a Roman citizen to it. It was reserved for the worst of offenders, and it was a public torture. It was designed actually to last for days, not for moments, so that the one who was crucified would die slowly in the public view, so that all who walked by would have the opportunity to consider that they should never themselves commit such crimes against Rome. While Jesus is crucified in the morning of Good Friday, the sky is dark roughly from noon until three. And at that point, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And says it is finished. Joseph of Arimathea asked permission to take the body of Jesus and bury him. And he does so with the help of Nicodemus, it's recorded in John chapter 19. And thus ends Good Friday with the death 
of Christ. Saturday, April the 4th of AD 33. Again, there's nothing recorded there because Saturday is a day of waiting because Sunday is coming. And then on Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, April the 5th of AD 33, some women arrive near dawn at the tomb. Probably Mary Magdalene arrives first, and Mary and the others go to look for the body of Jesus. But the tomb they enter is empty. The stone has been rolled away, and they sprint back, Mary Magdalene likely rushing back to Peter and John first. The other women arrive And Jesus actually confirms to them that he's risen. Go and tell my disciples. Peter and John rush to the tomb. They find it empty. That same Easter Sunday, Jesus appears to Cleopas and a friend on the road to Emmaus. He later appears to Peter. And that evening, he appears to the 10 minus Thomas, right, in a house with locked doors in Jerusalem, declaring to them that he is indeed alive. Now, All of these events, again, I want to refer you back to the book. If you want to read it, it's called The Final Days of Jesus, where Justin Taylor will lay out in chronological order what happens, and he will give you the scripture references and all the historical notes. But I wanted to narrate this for you on Easter week, on this holy week, so that you and I have a time to reflect in awe at this incredible, important, powerful, sad, joyous final week of the life of Jesus. It's so important that if you look at, for instance, the gospel of Mark, Mark as a gospel is 16 chapters long. Those 16 chapters narrate the 33 years of the life of Jesus. From chapter 11, so 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, those six chapters out of the 16 in the gospel of Mark are devoted to seven days in the life of Jesus. It's true of almost all of the gospel writers. These seven days have a disproportionate amount of information in the gospels about the life recorded in them. Why? Because the gospel writers are trying to tell us by the detail in which they describe these seven days that this week is the most important week in the life of Christ. And therefore, I think we could say it honestly, the most important week in the history of the world. Because on this week, from March the 29th of AD 33 on Palm Sunday to April the 5th of that first Easter Sunday in AD 33, we see the death and resurrection of God's promised King. And so this Holy Week, this week of remembering what Christ has done for us as Christians, I want to urge you to look at it again. Take one of the gospel accounts, maybe take the gospel of Mark that I've used and take some time to read through and reflect again on all that Jesus did in those last seven days. Think of what it would have been like. Think of the scenes in Jerusalem. Put yourself into the shoes of the Jewish people who first welcomed him in with cries of Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and then scarcely a few days later cried out, crucify him. Reflect on the terrible death of Christ. Reflect on the astonishing joy of the resurrection. And remember the incredible importance of Easter. 
It's the center of our hope as Christians. And so I hope even just this short little reflection on the final week of the life of Jesus spurs you to a fresh way to see Easter this week. And I hope as you come to worship at Cornerstone, either on Good Friday, we have two services, 6.30 and 8 o'clock, or on Easter Sunday and Easter Saturday services at Cornerstone at 6.30 on Saturday, 8.45 and 10.45 on Sunday. We'd love for you to come and to rejoice with us in this incredible work of Christ. He is risen. He's no longer dead. He's risen. Rejoice in him this week. And I hope even just this reflection back gives you a new source of fresh insight and wonder this Easter Sunday. 